right, so uh, we're going to continue on in this series this morning. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, what we talked about was what is a Christian. And uh, what I said at the end of that sermon was a Christian is someone who has been given new spiritual life by God through believing in Jesus. And uh, at the end of that sermon, I said um, one of the ways that we can know we have new spiritual life is if we see evidence in our lives of us growing, of us moving toward God, desires for God are growing in some areas and lessening and uh, forsaken in other areas, right? And, and uh, so one of the things I said was, you know, you can raise your hand, you can go to an event, you can go, um, you know, uh, forward at, at a crusade or whatever. And if that's not accompanied by genuine belief in Jesus, then you've not become a Christian. You've not been given new spiritual life. And so it's possible at the end of a sermon like that last week, some of you left here with a tension, with a struggle. Maybe you left here thinking, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian then. Maybe, maybe I, I don't have that new spiritual life you talked about. And so I want to say to you that tension is very possibly a good thing. Okay, so I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with you walking away with that tension last week because I also knew what was coming this week. And, the, and the, the topic we're going to look at this week is, can I lose my salvation? That, that's the question. Uh, many times I've had people uh, I've visited with, or you know, uh, uh, you've had people like this where you're sitting across from or you're talking, and they, they tell you their story, and they say, you know, I trusted in Christ, maybe I was 5, I was 10, or 15, but then I, I just got off track. You know, I, I started kind of doing whatever I wanted to do in college, and then, you know, now here I am having a kid now, or, you know, I'm getting married now, or, you know, and I'm just kind of growing up, and I'm realizing I need to get back on track. And so you ask, as you're talking to them about their story, one of the things that might come up is, is they feel like, well, did, did it really stick? You know, did, when, I, when I believed back then, when I went forward at that, that, that camp or whatever, did it stick? Did it stay with me? Because I kind of don't feel like it did. Right? And, and accompanied with, with questions like that is, is senses of doubt, maybe guilt that, that we carry. And, and, and so a lot of times that doubt and that guilt is what's causing us to question whether or not that was really genuine or not. And, and so uh, what we're going to look at this morning is, can I lose my salvation? When a person genuinely believes in Jesus, can that then be lost? And I'm going to give you my hand here real quick. I'm not trying to hide it, hold anything close to the chest. Here's where, I, where I'm going this morning. Security and salvation is based on God, not on me. This is security and salvation is based on God, not on me. And to do that this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. And if you need a Bible, there should be some Bibles in the chairs there in front of you. And if you're using one of those Bibles, go to page 1212. Page 1212. John chapter 10, page 1212. As you're turning there, at this point in John, Jesus has introduced an analogy, an an imagery that he's using now. And he introduces it in John chapter 10, verse 1, where he says he has sheep. He has sheep that that, that belong to him. And and he's talking to some religious leaders, some Jewish uh, teachers and preachers of the day, people who are pastors of the the people of Israel. And they're having trouble believing who Jesus is and what he says and what he teaches. And so along the way, Jesus says, look, I have sheep. And and the sheep that I have, he's going to explain, are the ones that follow me. And he says, I have sheep that are of the Jewish people and I have sheep that are non-Jewish people. And all of them are ultimately going to come in here. And he gets to a point, and, and the people ask him this in John chapter 10. 
So then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. By the way, that's Hanukkah. If you're ever wondering where that is in the Bible, there it is right there. Not an Old Testament feast, but one that came up in between the two Testaments, and the New Testament uh, references it here. Then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in Solomon's portico. The Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I told you, and you do not believe. The deeds that I do in my Father's name, they testify about me, but you refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. And the Father and I are one. So this conversation is coming up, and, and, and the Jewish leaders say to Jesus, stop hiding it, just tell us. Are you the Messiah? If you are, we're going to believe, right? And he says, no, look, I've already told you. Now, Jesus never outright told them. He did to the woman at, at the well in John 4. He says, hey, woman, the person you're talking to, that's, that's me. Right? When she was talking about the Messiah. But to the Jewish leaders, he never outright said, I'm your Messiah. But here's what he says. He says, I told you. You should know. Because the deeds that I do in my Father's name, he says, they testify about me. In other words, you are looking at all these miracles. I'm raising people from the dead, giving people sight who were blind, helping them to hear who couldn't hear, uh, making people walk who couldn't walk. You should have been seeing that all in the Old Testament where God said he's going to send his servant, his Messiah, who's going to do all those things. He says, I'm doing all those things in my Father's name. You should know. But then in verse 26... He says, but you refuse to believe because you're not my sheep. So now that raises a question. All right, well, if the Jewish leaders, the pastors and teachers, the experts in the, in the Old Testament, these are the people who studied their Bible, they're formally trained, they're the ones responsible for the spiritual life of the people. If they're not part of Jesus' sheep, what does it look like to be a sheep of Jesus? Which is what he does in verse 27. And so the first thing we're going to see is those who belong to Jesus, they follow him. They follow him. So verse 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, in the context here in the Middle East, uh, much like today where there are uh, still traditional shepherds of the day, the way that a shepherd would shepherd a sheep was by leading them from the front, maybe sometimes from the side, and, and occasionally he would walk behind them. But what a shepherd in those days uh, very rarely, if ever did, was drive the sheep. This is not like a cattle drive. This was different. They were shepherds, and they would lead their sheep. And the way they would lead their sheep was by their voice. That's why Jesus says, they listen to my voice. You see, there's some, there's some um, historical record that shows that sometimes shepherds would put their sheep in a fold at night, like a pen or a, co- a corral, and, and they would put their sheep in there at night. And sometimes there might be more than one shepherd who had their flocks in this contained area. Well, when the morning time came and it was time for the shepherd to lead each of their flocks out for pasture, uh, they would call their sheep. Sometimes they would use their own unique call, right? And it was based on this unique call and the sound of that voice. The sheep would know their shepherd and they would follow them. But they would know also the sound of a, of a stranger and they wouldn't follow them. Now, this is not something that's, that's very foreign to a lot of you. Those of you who have cattle... Um, I know some of you have your own unique way of calling your cattle so that they hear your voice. Is that right? 
Any of you want to demonstrate yours? Oh, there you go. All right. Lacey, I'm here in the front. Okay. Any others? Anyone else? No, no, no. Oh, you do it again? All right. Okay, good. Good, good. All right. Anybody else? Moment of fame. Here it is. Okay, good. Story about that one. So um, Justin Borneman in the first service, he was one of the examples. And he says, you know, a lot of people just honk the horn. And he said, but we didn't want our cattle going to anybody who just honked their horn. And so, so he has his own, little, his own little call. But thank you, for guys. Thank you for – that's going to be on video, by the way. And I usually post the second service on Facebook. So just so you know, if you want credits, I'll put your name and tag you. <laughs> hey, so you, you get this. You get the, the, the unique call and the cattle knowing the sound of your voice. Same kind of thing is that the, the sheep, they knew the voice. They knew the unique sound of their shepherds so that they would follow that shepherd. You see, earlier in chapter 10, John had, uh, Jesus had said that he's a good shepherd. He's the one who leads his flock in and out of pasture. And there's other people, they're thieves, they're, they're robbers, and they, they come to steal, they come to kill, they come to destroy, like a wolf, right? They, they, and if you're that person, if you're someone who's trying to steal the sheep, you're not going to go through the main gate because that's where the shepherd or the watchman's going to be. What are you going to do? Instead, you're going to go around a different way. You're going to kind of climb over the fence. You're going to go under the fence so that you can steal, snatch those sheep out. He says, no, no, but the shepherd, I go through the gate. In fact, Jesus goes on and says, in fact, I am the gate. Meaning you want to be a sheep, you've you got to come through me. And so he's using his imagery and he says to these, these religious leaders, hey, you're not my sheep. You refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. So what does a sheep look like? First and foremost, a sheep is someone who listens to the voice of Jesus. Now, when, when he says, they listen to my voice, here's, here's what he means in part. When the message that Jesus came to preach is proclaimed, when Jesus tells of the gospel message of why he has come, that he has come to live this life so he can fulfill the things of God and then die in the place of sinners and then ultimately rise from the dead, be lifted up so that anyone who looks upon him and believes shall be saved. When they hear that message, a sheep, someone who belongs to God, responds. the listening to a voice of Jesus, you respond to your shepherd's voice. You know, throughout the scripture, when you when you see it talk about listen or hear, Old Testament or New Testament, it doesn't stop with just hearing with your ears and letting that just rattle in your head. Like, for instance, in the Old Testament, one of the more famous uh, passages that say this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When Moses speaks that, he's not saying just hear and listen, so that you gain some, some knowledge. But attached to that concept of hearing and listening is, and then respond in time. Respond in the way that you're called to respond. Um, um, obey, basically, is, is what it could be translated. So my sheep, they listen to my voice. They obey me. They respond to the gospel call. If, if you belong to Jesus, you will respond to the gospel call. He says, and then he goes on, he says, they listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I know them. Perhaps the most profound statement in all that we're going to look at this morning. I know my sheep. You see, if you were to go back in chapter 10, somewhere around verses 12 through 14, I believe, you're going to see Jesus talking about he knows his sheep, and the Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows the Father. And he compares the way that the Father knows him, and he knows the Father from where he knows the sheep. He says, I know them. Now you think with me for a minute 
about how God the Father knows God the Son. Now, a few weeks back, we looked at the Trinity. We, we spent a couple weeks looking at God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what we learned was that they're three different persons, right? The Father is unique and different from Jesus the Son, who is unique and different from the Spirit. They're all three different people, but they're one God, not three God. But they're in such a tight and close uh, relationship with one another that Jesus can say, I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And then he says, I know my sheep. You see, one of the ways that we know in, in, in our world that we can see the closeness and the relationship of the Father and the Son depicted is in the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Because as Paul will tell us in Ephesians 5, the, the marriage relationship between a husband and wife is so much more than just you and, and your husband and wife living happily ever after. It's meant to depict the relationship between God and His people, between Jesus and the church. And so you've got this picture where the husband and the wife, it's the two becoming one flesh, right? And that's, that's not just simply two people joining their lives together so that they now live under one roof or they, they join their bank accounts together. You know, it includes those kind of things, sure. But maybe it's, it's, it's also things like we start to think together. We start to make decisions as one person, not just two separate individuals. So you don't lose your individuality when you become married, but you're still two separate people, but you start to operate as one. And so that you're making decisions as one. You're leading your family as one. Those are all certainly ways that the oneness, the two becoming one flesh is depicted, but obviously the closest and the most intimate way, and I see some little ears, so I'm going to say it in the biblical way, is when a husband and wife know one another. Got me? All right, so um, when a husband and a wife know one another, that is the most intimate connection you can find on this earth. Okay? No arguments. I mean, this is the most intimate connection. And it is meant to be so much more than just your enjoyment and pleasure. That's part of it. But it doesn't stop there, because what it should point you to is the one who created that. It is supposed to be a depiction, an image of the closeness between God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the church. And so Jesus says, you know what? I know my sheep. That is not just a mere acquaintance. Jesus does not just, uh, you know, pass you by and say, oh yeah, I met him once, met her once. He said, well, you're my sheep. I know you. And it's the same type of knowing that he has with the Father and the Son. It's intimate. He's connected to you. He's connected to me. He says, that's uh, how you know my sheep. They listen to my voice. I know them. And he says, and they follow me. They follow me. They, they, they submit their lives to me. When I, my voice speaks, they come. As the shepherd is leading the sheep, the sheep follow. He says, that's my sheep. You want to know what it looks like to be my sheep? They follow me. So maybe that looks like you reading the scripture and you come across a uh, a spot where it tells you how you're supposed to love your wife as a husband, wives, how you're supposed to love your husband, kids, how you're supposed to honor your parents, or, you know, employers, how you're supposed to treat your employees, and employees, how you're supposed to treat and, and, and uh, respond to your employers, and all these different things that it teaches you. And you read it and you go, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. Or you read it and you go, not sure I can do that, but that's what God has laid out for me. If that's how He calls me to live, I'm going to follow that. See, that's how you know if you're a sheep, you're following after your shepherd. As opposed to, you open up and go, mm, don't know if I want to do that. You know, see, that, that, does, that comes into conflict with how I'm currently living, and I like how I'm currently living. Close. Or, uh, I'm not going to, that's cultural. No, that doesn't apply here. Hey, but this does, because it doesn't love me as much. Right? So, you know a person by the way they follow. 
right? That's what he says, my sheep, they follow me. Now, here's what Jesus is also saying. You don't obey and follow to become the sheep. You are his sheep, so you obey and follow. Right? There's a difference there. If you try to obey and follow so that you become his sheep, that's not God's plan of salvation. It's not simply what you or I could do. It's not simply, let me align my life with Jesus and how he lived, and maybe along the way I'll, I'll get in. We don't obey and follow to become a sheep. We are his sheep, therefore we obey and follow. He says to the religious leaders back in verse 26, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. So how do we know what a sheep looks like? If the religious leaders are not sheep, what do they look like? Well, they're people who listen to Jesus' voice. They follow, he knows it, and they follow him. All right, so if you're a sheep, what does Jesus give to the sheep? Verses 28 through 30, those who belong to Jesus are the sheep. What does Jesus uh, give his sheep? How, how does he relate to a sheep? And he says this in verses 28 through 30. He starts down and he says, I give them eternal life. Okay, I, he says, Jesus, I give them eternal life. That's not language of earning. That's not, that's not him saying, I'm going to pay you what you deserve. I give them eternal life. The life that Jesus gives is something he alone has the authority to give. It's not something that you or I or anyone can earn. He says, I give it to them. And then it's eternal. That's not just a statement about the quality of the life. It's a statement about the time period in which they would have it. It's eternal. I give it, and it will not come to an end. Eternity never ends. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. That's pretty strong language too. So I give them eternal life and after they have that life, they will never perish. You know the other times, one of the other times we've seen that word used by John was in our favorite verse. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal or everlasting life. What is perishing? Perishing is, I've not been saved from my sins. I am still under the condemnation of God, and so therefore I am condemned because of my sins to hell. Perishing. But eternal life is, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have eternal life. It does not end. I will not perish. I have been saved from the wrath of God towards sin. He says, they will never perish. And he goes on and he says, no one will snatch them from my hand. So go back to the sheep imagery. They're in this fold. They're in this pen. Thieves and robbers come. They come to steal. They come to kill. They come to destroy. And he says, look, there's going to be thieves and robbers. There's going to be people that come and try. There's going to be other entities that come and try. And it doesn't matter who they are, what they are. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can steal that sheep out of the pen if you belong to the good shepherd. That means this. Spiritual entities. There is no demon that can snatch you or me from the hand of the Savior. Maybe you've experienced demon possession. Maybe you've been tormented by it. Maybe you've dabbled in the occult or full-on worshipped in the occult. And, and you're wondering, man, can I even be saved? And if you're a sheep, if you've responded to the voice of the shepherd and you've believed in Christ, no spiritual entity, no demon, no angel can snatch you from the hand. Because guess what? John, earlier in his gospel, chapter 1, what does he tell us about Jesus, the Word? 
was that all things were created through him. Jesus is the very one who created the angels, and some of those angels became demons. He created them. They cannot be more powerful than him. He says, they can't snatch you out of my hands. And it doesn't matter. Uh, no, no one, he says, no one, no influence on you. No, no false teacher, nobody who, who leads you astray in your life. No one can cause you to be snatched out of the hand of the Savior. And that also includes then you and me. But I'm a someone. No one can snatch you out of the hand of the Savior. There's nothing that you can do if you're a sheep, if you believe in Jesus, that can snatch you out of the hand of the Savior. Now, I'm coming back around, by the way, to the other side of this in just a moment. No one, he says, can snatch you out of my hand. Now, remember, he's talking to pastors and teachers, Jewish religious leaders, Pharisees. They're having a hard time believing who Jesus is. And so Jesus gets that. He says, all right, I know you don't believe in me, but I know you believe in the Father. So he goes on, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, in other words, the sheep that, that Jesus has, those who belong to him, they've been given to him by the Father. He says, my Father who gave them to me, he's greater than all. They would be going, yeah, yeah, we agree with that statement. God the Father, God the Father. that's what they would, they would know God as the Father. He's greater than all. There's no one greater than the Father. They're nodding their heads. He says, no one can snatch them out of his hand. And then he says, and I am the Father. Number one. In other words, no one can snatch them from Jesus' hand. You have a hard time believing who Jesus is? Okay, fine. Well, the Father, who's greater than everyone else, he's the one who gave them to me to begin with. And no one can snatch them from his hand. And I and the Father, we know. That is, we're on the same page. We're, we're, we're got the same uh, plan. We've got the same will. We are one in our essence. Not, not that we're the same person. Remember, the Father is not the Son. They're two different people. They're one God. I and the Father, we're one. We're connected. We are joined. We are in this together. There is nothing that can separate us, and we are both on the same page about this. You can't take them from the Savior's hand. You can't take them from the Father's hand. No one can snatch them from our hand. Well, Jesus says those who follow, follow him, those who belong to him, they're secure because he gives them eternal life, and that life is indeed eternal without end. Uh, they never perish. Okay, that's some strong eternal language there. No one will snatch them from Jesus' hand. No one will snatch them from the Father's hand. And just in case you're struggling with one of those two, him and the Father alone. And so I start out the sermon, and I, and, and I put the title the way that you and I typically ask the question, Can I Lose My Salvation? But I think as we read through a passage like this, we need to reconsider the way we ask that question. Because can I lose my salvation starts with me. Can I lose it? But as these verses teach us, the question should be this. Not can I lose my salvation, can God lose me? Remember, Jesus, I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them from my hand. So it's not can I lose my salvation, but can God lose me? And see, the difference is where you start. Do you start with me? Do you start with you? Or do you start with God? And that makes a difference. Which is why I start out by saying security and salvation is based on God, not on me. Now, let me let me come back around to something here. So, obviously, I showed you my cards. I, I don't believe God will let us go once we genuinely believe. I'm not trying to hide that. On the flip side, there are people who believe differently. Now, let me say this. There are good and godly. There are scholars 
people who are formally trained in studying the Bible, people who are pastors and teachers, people you listen to and people you know and love, people who maybe have ministered to you through their ministry, who believe differently. And they are not sinners because they believe differently. Right? Because this is one of those issues, like several of the issues in the Bible, where you come to the Scriptures and you're studying, you're being diligent to study, and, man, there's just some, some places where it, it seems like it could go really either way. And so you've got people on both sides of it. And just because someone disagrees with me on this, and I disagree with them on this, does not mean that I cannot befriend them, because I can. I can still be their friends. I can still worship alongside them. I can still go to church with them. I can still serve in ministry with them. I can still let them serve in ministry. I can still, um, you know, be ministered to by them. This is not one of those primary issues. It's secondary. Now, within that side of, of, of things where people have landed on a, a conclusion that, yeah, you can lose your salvation. Let me break it up into two broad camps. There's one camp um, that's really kind of represented by one major Christian branch, and this is really the only Christian branch or denomination, if you will, um, that, that really teaches this. And th- it's this, that you can lose your salvation with any sin. Any sin. You lie today, you, that thought you just had, you just lost your salvation. You know what I mean? You, you go and you make that decision, you lost it. And so what you have to then do is you have to go and make a confession. You have to go and uh, have some kind of penance paid. You have to participate in certain activities. All is a way to kind of maybe regain that back. And, and so that, that's kind of the, the life cycle then if you fall into that belief. Your life is going to be based around performance and penance. Performance and penance. And you're really never going to know, did, did I do enough? Did I, did, I, did I die before I confess? You know? And so... Um, that, if you, if you land in that camp, you are going to be dramatically impacted by the way you live. And so something like this, this morning, where you hear, man, salvation is secure because of God, not because of you, should be a great comfort to you. Because what it means is, you know what? We all sin. There's not a day that goes by that we're not going to sin. There's not a, a morning that goes by you're not going to sin. Man, I don't, I don't know all of it, but I know I've sinned this morning. I know you have sinned this morning. Several times we've all sinned this morning. You know, the reality is we are not completed yet. We're not perfect. And so in this life, there's going to be that struggle. And so if you uh, read the scriptures or you just buy into what you're taught, that, man, whatever sin you commit, you lose your salvation. And you're going to be like back and forth, boing, boing, boing. You know what I mean? You're just going to be bouncing back and forth between performance and penance. And so to hear this should set you free. should set you free to walk in grace and to walk boldly and to stop performing. Because if God gives that salvation... If God gives that life, we should not live like we earned it or like we can't earn it. Okay? That's one major, major denomination. Like I said, one major branch really kind of teaches that. But then the majority of people who really understand what they believe and really have studied it and land in a camp where they, they disagree with what I'm saying and said they believe, yes, you can lose your salvation, they would not say that you lose it because of every sin you commit. They would clearly acknowledge everything that I just said about them struggling through sin, that people to live through this life and we, we struggle. They're not, they're not going to say or believe that the scriptures teach that we can lose our salvation with every little sin. What they are going to likely say and typically say is there comes a point where if a person continues and persists in a sin, usually that would include us denying Christ, turning away from the faith, becoming apostate, a walking away from the church. We've, we've renounced our faith, something like that and we're living in sin, or if we are living in a persistent sin, and we don't confess that sin but continue in it, then there's a good chance we're going to lose that salvation at that point. 
right? And so they're not going to be um, someone who's like that other camp saying every little sin. It's just you walk away from your faith. You, you've denounced it. You've renounced it. You live in, a, in an apostate state. You're unrepentant living in sin. That's the type of person. And so hear me on this. Functionally speaking, the way we live out our life, if I'm diligently, I'm, I'm trying to follow after Christ, and I, and I am doing you know, what I can to live by the power of the Spirit and pursue holiness, and that person on the other side of, of things, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're studying their scriptures, and they're doing what they can to live out their life in the power of the Spirit to pursue holiness. Functionally speaking, you're not going to necessarily see a difference between the way I'm living and the way they're living. It's not going to be a difference. It's not, it's not, it's not that, that clear and, and uh, concise. Because we're both pursuing the same things. And both of us are going to say, yeah, as a believer, if you're a true believer, genuine believer, you need to be living and pursuing holiness. We're both going to say that. And so we're both going to pursue that. Where the difference is probably most likely going to come in is the way I think about some things. It's going to be maybe the way I think about God and how His plan of salvation works and, and, and what's elevated higher, my, my ability to choose or His sovereignty to keep me. Those things are going to be different. And it might impact the way that I view uh, someone who maybe is living in sin. Maybe that person's going to believe that, that a person who's living in unrepentant sin, they've lost their salvation or they were never a genuine believer to begin with. And I might be on my side and I say, well, it's true, they might never have been a believer to begin with. Or it's possible that they did genuinely believe and now they're living in sin. And they would be like that category that Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, kind of right there in the middle there. He says, um, there's those, you, I tried to write to you, saints, you believers, but you were like carnal, you were fleshly. I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people, like mature people. But he doesn't call them natural like unbelievers. He says you were carnal, you were fleshly, you were infants in the faith. And so, I, you know, that, that kind of might be the difference. And so hear me say that. I can still a friend, worship alongside, serve, uh, you know, let them serve. The, the, those kind of things, they should not divide me, and it should not make me arrogant, just like it shouldn't make anyone on that side arrogant. Now, let me say this, though. If you are here this morning, or you left it last week, and you're struggling with that tension of, man, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really a believer. I, you know, I don't, I don't see that evidence of new spiritual life in my life, and if that's something where you've had that for a long time, we're talking months, years, and you're just kind of doubting and you're thinking, man, I don't know if, if it's stuck, here's what I would very bluntly and honestly say to you. You really do need to consider, did you genuinely believe to begin with? That is worth your time to go back and evaluate, did I genuinely believe in the first place? Did When I went forward at that camp, at that crusade, when I raised my hand, when I checked that box, did I really understand or was I giving in to some pressure uh, along, from the person alongside me who went forward or because I didn't want people to look around and not see my hand raised? Be honest with yourself because it's worth it. Because what you're dealing with right now is eternity is on the line. You see, because what would you rather? Would you rather play church your whole life and think that you're in and then you come to the end, you're standing before Christ and he says, hey, I know my sheep. And so he's separating and he says, you're my sheep over here. You're my sheep over here. I don't know you. You're like, Lord, Lord, I, I, yeah, I went forward at that Billy Graham crusade. I don't know you. Would you rather find out then? Or would you rather spend the time now saying, you know, this doubt, this guilt that I've been carrying, you know, it's been around for a while. Maybe I did not really believe to begin with. And if that's the case, then you need to, to pray, Lord, help me to understand, help me to believe and respond. It's worth your time to do that. 
feel there might be others of you here this morning where maybe it's not a long-term thing, right? You've not been dealing with it for months. It's not consistently there all the time. It's not been years. But it's intermittent. Like there are times where you feel, I doubt, and I'm not sure. And, and maybe it comes up and it kind of goes. It comes up and goes. Here's what I would suggest. It, it could very well possibly be that, yeah, maybe, maybe you didn't genuinely believe to begin with. Always keep that as a possibility until you're certain, right? But okay, maybe you've got sin in your life that you're just hanging on to and you're living in. Maybe you've got something you're holding on to that you're not confessing. Or maybe you're indulging in something. And so, yeah, the, the, the consequence you're going to feel is guilt and shame. I mean, it's like a parent and a child relationship, right? So, you know, I've got these daughters. And, uh, you know, these daughters one day, um, they may go off and do something that's going to um, hurt the family. You know, it's going to maybe be harmful to them, harmful to us. And they're going to be living in sin or something. I, I pray that doesn't happen, right? But maybe that happens. Well, they're not going to be disowned as my kids. I'm not going to kick them out of my family. They're still my daughter. That relationship's still there. But there is definitely going to be a rift in our relationship. There's definitely, it's not going to feel like I'm close to my daughter from her perspective. Right? Because a lot of times that's the way we'll phrase it. I just don't feel like God's close to me anymore. Like I don't feel his presence. And we need to flip that because the, the issue is not God. He's not the one to blame. It's us. Always us. Because God is never far. God is never uh, distant from us. When, he, when you become his sheep, when you place your trust in Christ, he gives you his spirit that he causes to live inside of you. He gives you new spiritual life. He doesn't undo that. He doesn't um, you know, take a person who once was spiritually dead and now he makes alive and then calls them to be back dead again. Instead, what happens is you and I walk away. You and I allow sin to trump our relationship with God. And so now, yes, there's that rift. He's not disowned us. He's adopted us into his family and called us sons and daughters. He doesn't change that. But yeah, you're not going to feel God close if you're indulging in sin. If you're holding on to something. There is going to be a rift. And a lot of times that's the way we describe it. So if that's you, what the Bible would call us to do in our case is confess our sins. Because if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 talks about how we can get back in that restored intimacy with God. Maybe that's where you are. You need to just confess your sin and say, God, I, I acknowledge this is sin. I'm indulging in it. And then walk in the forgiveness that He's given you in Christ. Walk in His grace. But can a person ultimately know and be assured that we're secure? And I think the answer is yes. And it starts with, you can't, you can't have anything less than you've got to start with believing what the Bible has to say about it. God says, anyone who ever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He says, I know my sheep and they follow me and no one can snatch them from my hand and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. You've got to remind yourself of those verses. You've got to believe and trust that that's God's Word and He meant it when He said it. You start there. You can't be any less than that if you want, you want that assurance of salvation. But you cannot stop there. You see, because here's what happens. In our Bible Belt culture, cultural Christianity, here's what we do. We say, you know, did you trust in Christ? Yeah, I went forward, I checked that box on the, that crusade card, I raised my hand at the, at the camp or whatever. And we say, great, here's some verses that tell you that you're now secure in your salvation. Okay, that's good. We need to do that. But we need to make sure that we've kind of dug a little deeper to make sure that person understands what they believe because just raising your hand, just going forward, uh, just doing something like that, that does not mean you became a Christian. Remember, it has to be accompanied by genuine belief, which then God gives you new spiritual life. If you have not been given new spiritual life, and then someone comes and says, man, here's what the Bible says. You're secure. 
Well, then you're going to go off and live however you want, thinking the whole time that you're a believer and you're secure, safe in the arms of Jesus. When in actuality, you may not be. And so we need to disciple. We need to follow up. We need to make sure people truly understand what they believe. And if we have a doubt, like your, your kids or your grandkids, you're looking at their lives and go, man, I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I'm not sure you understood that. Well, let's, let's just go and ask them, what do you believe? What do you think that means? And follow up. You've got to start with the Scripture. But here's the other thing that the Bible tells us, that the way that we can have assurance, is to live out what we believe. Do you see fruit in your life? Do you see evidence of that newness of life? Does, you, does God's Spirit testify with your spirit that you are, you are sons of God? Do you, do you see evidence of being born from above? If you don't, and it's been a while since you did, it could be, man, you're just not, you're just in, in a slump, and you, you know, you're, you're consuming more things of the world and of sin than you are of God. You know, that's why Paul would say, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Do things that stir up your affections for God. And if when you do that, your affections are stirred up for God so that you desire the things of God more than the things of the world, great. That's probably a good indicator that you have new spiritual life. But if you do those things, you're like, oops, I'm not getting it. No, there's nothing in here. Okay, go back. Did I, did I do anything to Again, as I said last week, you got to hold that one in tension. Our job is ultimately not to decide who is and who's not a believer. But we've got to be discerning, and we've got to be uh, loving. So if we see someone who professes to be a believer, but they're looking at their life, you're going, man, I, I, don't, I don't see anything. Understand first that you and I may not see the fruit that's being born. That there may be very little low-hanging fruit at times. So we cannot ultimately be the one. But we have to lovingly be willing to have those conversations with people and say, you know, you, you profess to be a believer, be a Christian, but and your life is saying otherwise. We've got to be able to do that. But you want assurance? Trust what the Bible has to say about it. And then pursue it. Pursue God. And as you see that evidence in your life, then that will build the assurance. That will remove the doubt that oftentimes we carry. Okay? The last thing I want to say is this. I've been accused personally, and many people who teach the same thing I'm, I'm teaching you here, I've been accused of this. Well, you're, you're telling people they can be secure, they get their ticket punched, so now they can just go and live however they want. First off, most people who are worth anything, if they're a pastor or teacher, do not teach that. Okay? There's no one out there who actually teaches, hey, come place your trust in Jesus, now go live it up. Unless they're just, I used a strong word in the first service, I said one of yours. You fill in the blank. Okay? Make it strong enough. Make it strong. Okay? Nobody teaches that. But I've been accused of that. Is that a risk? Yes. Has it happened and people abuse it? Yes, absolutely. But just because people abuse something does not mean we run from it. People abuse grace all the time. It doesn't mean we abandon grace. Okay? So I'm not teaching that. That's why I'm saying let's pursue holiness together. And the people on the other side who think, man, there might be a point where you could lose your, lose your salvation, it's time to end it. They're going to say the same thing. Let's pursue holiness together. Salvation is secure based on God, not on me. It starts with God, not me. Okay, so Father, uh, we're so grateful for this grace that you've given us that we do not deserve. And that uh, because we belong to Christ, because we believe in Him, you make us secure. That there is nothing, no thing, no person, not even ourselves that can rip us from your hands because that is, no, there's no one more powerful than you. And that should then empower us to live boldly, empower us to live confidently, even and especially in the face of persecution when we don't 
when we're no longer comfortable. So God, would you let us walk in that? Teach us how to walk in that, to know that we are secure and nothing formed against us. No, no person who comes against us can take us from you. And that should make us be able to stand with great courage in the face of all things and ultimately death, which so many of our brothers and sisters are doing. Father, there's some this morning who maybe they're, they're realizing with that tension that maybe they didn't genuinely believe to begin with. And so, God, would you let your spirit open their heart, help them to understand that Christ came and lived the life that we could not live, but that we needed to. And then he died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved, but he did not earn. And then he rose from the dead, which empowers him to give us the new life that he offers. Lord, help them to understand and, and then lead them to believe. Father, we pray for those this morning who are struggling. Maybe they just need to confess something to you. Maybe they need to get into a habit of daily just, Lord, here's my sin that I'm aware of. And Lord, there's sins I'm not aware of. And cleanse that relationship and open up those channels so that that intimacy can be restored. And all of us, God, we need to be reminded that regardless of where we land on this, it does not lead to arrogance. It does not lead to separating ourselves from others. And God, instead, help us to pursue one another in love and pursue holiness together. These things I pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're able to stand, uh, if you're able, please stand and we'll dismiss. Thanks for hanging in there. I know it went a little long this morning. If you are visiting for the first time, I would love to say hello, shake your hand, maybe answer any questions that you might have. And if so, exit these doors, hang a right, and I'll meet you at the couches there in just a few moments. Your God is more powerful than anyone or anything. There's nothing that can come against Him and win. You're His sheep. You're secure. So leave here now and go and live in that boldness. And do so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.